Hello, and welcome to another episode of Patrons and Partnerships. I'm Tina, and today our guest is Kevin Scott, the director of Just Income GNV. So I would like to introduce our guest today is Kevin Scott, director of, I'll let you introduce yourself. My official title is I'm the project director of Just Income GNV. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and Just Income and how you started with the organization? Yeah, so Just Income GNV. GNV is the Gainesville City Code. We know that here, but if anyone's listening that doesn't know that. So Just Income GNV is a project that is being administered by Community Spring. And so Community Spring is a nonprofit here in Gainesville that tries to address systemic poverty through economic mobility, which sounds like a mouthful. But the way that actually like comes out in, in practice is Community Spring hires people in the community who have experienced poverty in some way or, or maybe even still are experiencing poverty to address the systems that they see as contributing to their own experience. So it's very much modeled on the idea of closest to the pain, closest to the solution. The people who are living it should be the ones who are speaking up and attacking those systems that have been contributing to their own experience. So I was actually part of the first fellowship class that they'd ever had. And what we worked on uh, as part of that fellowship, based on our own common experience, we'd all been impacted by the justice system in some way in our lives, either directly or indirectly. And so what we saw here in Gainesville that was lacking was reentry support. So people go into incarceration, they come out, now what? Now what are you supposed to do? And what we saw here was like really not much in terms of meaningful resources for people coming out. We thought, you know, having like a peer-to-peer network could be something very powerful in terms of like somebody who's been in prison, for example, is best suited to empathize and share resources with somebody who's coming out of prison also. So kind of like pairing that lived experience with other lived experience. And so what we started doing was kind of providing like practical resources, emotional resources for people post-incarceration is really what it was which was great. And it was called Torchlighters Reentry Support. That's what we were doing. And we started corresponding with people while they were still in prison. Oftentimes, people come out, no networking, nothing has been sort of like, uh, maybe like no connection to the outside world. It's sort of like your reentry plan starts the day you come out, when really it should start the day you go in. So realizing that cycle, we would experienced this in, in our own lives, some of us, and then in the lives of our loved ones and around us. So we wanted to interrupt that cycle. And so we started corresponding with people in advance, people that were coming home to Alachua County from state prison. That was the, our main audience, our main focus, which was very helpful. People knew that we existed here. We were sending in some resource guides as well. Like we had sort of compiled and consolidated local resources. Like here's where you go to get an ID. Here are places where you can go get food, clothing, and sort of categorize those things and and made them into a nice tidy little package for people coming out. When COVID happened, uh, you may have heard of COVID, uh, we had to pause a lot of our activities and the gatherings. We were kind of having, um, we had just started having uh, face-to-face meetings, like group meetings, sort of like a support group, come together, share some tears, share some laughter, share some resources. COVID really put a a wrench into that whole system. So we still wanted to do something to help our community. We felt like we had a lot of momentum and we wanted to keep doing something. 
we had become aware of the merit and power of direct cash assistance programs. And so we wanted to do one here. And so we did what was called CS Direct, which was Community Spring Direct. And this was just a one-time $300 payment to folks who were receiving SNAP benefits here in Alachua County. So the way that we did that was folks could apply through an online portal. You know, had to verify that they were receiving SNAP benefits. And then we would do monthly just a randomized total like lottery draw. And so whatever amount of money we had raised, we would divide that by $300. And we would give that money to that many randomly selected people. That was great. Very exciting to be a part of. Around that time, our mayor, Mayor Poe, joined Mayors for a Guaranteed Income, which is a national coalition of mayors who believe that guaranteed income is just a good idea and worth exploring at the very least. And so he had heard about our direct cash assistance program. And he came to Community Spring and said, would you be interested in implementing a guaranteed income pilot here in Gainesville? Everything that is done at Community Spring, it centers impacted voices. So, like, we want to hear from people in the community, people who have been through the experiences of, of, of what we're trying to address. So after a lot of thoughtful discussion of, like, could we do this? Should we do this? Is this a horrible idea? Is this a great idea? Like, we, you know, had a lot of discussion. And we came back and said, yes, we will do it, but only if it's for formerly incarcerated people based on our previous work. And they said, yes, okay, let's do it. And so that has turned into Just Income GNV. So that's like kind of the perfect synergy of our reentry support work, the direct cash assistance work kind of came together into this current project now. So how many people are being assisted with your program at this time? So very exciting. Just last Thursday, March 31st, we officially have 115 people receiving income for a year. That's amazing. Uh, So we had 57 started in January, and then the next 58 started March 31st, just last Thursday, for a total of 115. And so the cadence of those payments, the way it works out, is they get $1,000 the first month, followed by $600 a month for 11 months after that. And it is unconditional. It is no strings attached. If you want to buy a sandwich, you want to buy a jet ski, you want to save it, you want to light it on fire, you want to pay your bills, it's totally no strings, which we, we think is important. Oftentimes, support comes with like maybe a caveat or like a hook or like, hey, but you can only use it for or some sort of condition. And we believe that people are the experts in their own lives and should be able to act accordingly. So we thought that part was like super crucial. And we've already seen some results. The first cohort, like I said, started in January. So they are three months into it already. And we've seen like incredible things. Even the people that just got it last Thursday already seen like amazing stories. So. And the people, the 151? 115. 115. Mm-hmm. Are they also invited to participate in decision-making or discussions? Are they part of that group that then decides how to help others or... Yes. So what we're doing, it's, it's a research study. So we're, we're part of the Mayors for a Guaranteed Income national network. So this is going to be a very deep dive. This is a very serious, like, academic study. So we're partnered with University of Pennsylvania and the Center for Guaranteed Income Research and Dr. Lucius Kalut, best name on the planet. Uh, He's a doctor at Suffolk University uh, up in Boston area, and he is a criminology and sociology professor. And so in conjunction with UPenn, Dr. Kalut, uh, they'll be conducting pretty deep dive quantitative and qualitative data of people receiving the money and people not receiving the money. So the way that we logistically did this 
is we opened up an application to people that we knew were eligible. So the criteria worth stating is you had to be released from a state or federal prison, a county jail with a felony, or started felony probation within six months of the application deadline. We tried to have a, as close of a window to release as possible. So we reached out to those people, said, hey, you're eligible for this thing. A lot of skepticism, which we can very much talk about, very you know, understandable skepticism. But people applied, and then it was a, a lottery draw. It was a random selection from that point forward. So there's a, you know, the treatment and control group, people getting the money, people not getting the money. And so six months, 12 months, 18 months, folks will be invited, totally optional, to take part in surveys, similar to the baseline survey, which was kind of served as the application as well just to see, like, how are things going? How is this income? Has it helped? Has it hurt? In what ways has it had an impact? And then also, like, how is it going for people who have not had financial support, you know, income floor that they can count on? So we'll be doing, you know, a lot of research as well. So people's voices, we want them to say, yes, we will participate in the research. And so of the 115 people who are receiving the income, we met each one of them individually had private meetings, got to know them, which we think was very important. We wanted to have like face-to-face. This is not just a transaction. This is community. This is power building. This is like a bold move to do this with this population especially. So we thought it was important to like kind of build that rapport. And 100%, 100% of those 115 people said, yes, I would absolutely love to be a part of the research. Everyone said they were willing to participate. Totally optional. They're going to get the money either way. So they, they could say, never contact me again. But like, 100% said yes. So I think people, uh, what we hear a lot from formerly incarcerated people especially is, I've been silenced so long, I was afraid to speak up for fear of retaliation, but what they did to me in there is fill in the blank. You know, there's any number of atrocities and, and traumas that people come out with. So a lot of people are now feeling almost like a little eager to like share their story, which is amazing, and realizing that this could really help the next person coming out as well. So can you tell us about your team? Like you must, you're not doing this by yourself. What does your team look like? Yeah. Uh, so I'm the director, and then Tequila McKnight is the participant coordinator. She was also one of the uh, original fellows who helped to form Torchlighters Reentry Support. Tequila and I were part of a group, several group gatherings of people that helped to design and administer this. So ours is very unique in that it's like it has been designed and administered by formerly incarcerated people. That's very distinct. And so like even the the fact that we front loaded the payments, like the fact that it's a thousand dollars first and then six hundred is unusual. A lot of guaranteed income studies or pilots are one uniform amount throughout the entire time. We thought that, that was important just based on our own experience, like, you know, cash is the currency of urgency. You can get as much as you can when you come out especially, and so that that was designed by us. Community Spring is the nonprofit that we're operating out of. So, like, that's our umbrella nonprofits. And then we're in partnership with Mayors for a Guaranteed Income. UPenn uh, has, you know, research staff there, and then and Dr. Kalut as well. It, it's small. I mean, it's a small operation, honestly. Just mm-hmm. our office here, it's just me and Tequila are the, are the two staff members who've been hired on to do it. But then we're fortunate to have the connections with the other entities as well. So, what happens at the end of the period of time? Will your team then still assist the participants into the next phase of their lives by connecting them to resources or anything else? Is what what happens to them at the end of the program? I have no idea. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> I mean, part of it is like, we shall see. So I, 
Resources, absolutely. So everyone that is a part of this, like I mentioned earlier, we had compiled that resource guide that was just sort of like a trifold pamphlet that we would send into people in prison. We also made a, a longer form, like an insider's guide to reentry, and that was written by former prisoners with like quotes and anecdotes and advice. Like it was a mix of prose and uh, categorized resources as well. So everyone that came in, they got one of those. And so resources for sure. But part of this is it's a study. It's research. We don't know. Like we're hopeful that this will be a net positive thing. But we also want to operate from a place of, of wisdom and reality. So part of it is we're going to kind of wait and see. If you ask me today, like, will this be good? I would say yes, just because, like I said, the first 57 people are three months into it already seen remarkable, tangible and intangible results. You know, people have come back with some like really amazing stuff. People that like didn't have a vehicle now have a vehicle. They were able to, if they had like maybe fines and fees that they had to pay to like get their license squared away or like get, you know, like a a tag that they couldn't afford before and now they have it. One guy had had some botched hip surgeries while he was incarcerated and has a hard time getting around. Very limiting in, in terms like the scope of his life, like where he can go. He was able to get a mobility scooter. He found one at, at a hospice, I think, thrift store. So amazing, like he was able to afford that. People that were houseless, now in homes. People investing in their education. You know, one of the things that we combat a lot, especially with this population, is there's a perceived stereotype. That's a big, a big hurdle for us, is that people think of someone who's been incarcerated as like dangerous, maybe lazy, like they're not going to do anything with the money, they're just going to sit around, they're just going to drink it or smoke it, whatever it may be. And like what we know from like other uh, pilots around the country is like that's actually decidedly not, that's just not true. The evidence says the opposite. So people who received the money in Stockton, California had a very large pretty robust study, and their findings have already come out. People were twice as likely to get full-time employment that were receiving the money, like two times as likely, because they could afford to take the time to go explore other opportunities. I think it was like 1% to 2% went to alcohol, which is totally contrary to what most people would, would believe. So, you know, with our population that we're serving here, we feel like we have some extra stuff, some icky stuff to get around just because people tend to like demonize people who've been incarcerated. But what we have seen is people do exactly what kind of you and I would do and what anyone else would do for the most part is they invest in themselves and make choices that are relevant to themselves, their families. Um, Try to get their life back on track. Yeah, yeah. Just just make common choices like I'm hungry. I'm going to go get some food or like I have an opportunity to go like I've been stuck in some shitty job. I can now afford to take a day off from my shitty job to go explore this other opportunity that otherwise I couldn't afford to miss a day of work now that I have this cushion. So the the grand total is seven thousand six hundred dollars a year. So for people who might criticize and say, like, oh, well, they're they're not going to do anything. I mean, could you live on $7,600 a year? If so, please enlighten all of us on how you're doing that. It's not enough to live on. This is only providing like a a guaranteed cushion. So there's income floor is kind of like a buzz phrase in the world of guaranteed income. And what we see in, in this population in particular is it's not like you come out of incarceration and you are on the level playing field on even ground with the rest. Like you come out in a hole. So like you have the same expectations as everyone else of like, you know, you need to find housing. Uh, you're probably going to have to get some transportation of some sort, maybe a bicycle, maybe maybe even just a bus pass, a car, insurance, utilities, a phone, some clothing. I mean, just, you know, the things that we all have to pay for. However, 
On top of that, you also have court fees, restitution, maybe probation fees. Maybe you have to wear an ankle monitor. Maybe you have to take some sort of therapy. Maybe there's drug testing. All of these things are extra. So you have an extraordinary amount of debt, more so than the next person. And you have like a diminished opportunity to make money. So like it's hard to find a job. It's hard to find housing. People come out really on fire to be back in the world and like very ambitious and driven, creative, very capable human beings. And then go for a job interview. And it's like, oh, sorry, background check. You know, can't help you. You can't live here. Can't work here. No, 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 no. So the inability to pay those legal fees can result in reincarceration. I know here locally, it's about like 25% of the technical probation violations are rooted in just simply a lack of money. Like there's no crime. There's no offense. The crime is your bank account. You just don't have enough money. You're too poor to be free, which is an insane situation to be in, but it happens all the time. So people will be reincarcerated simply for a lack of money. So that's one of the things we're trying to highlight with this as well, is that if money turns out to be the answer, then maybe money was the problem to begin with. Maybe the way that we're taxing people and expecting people to do extraordinary things with limited resources is a trap. Maybe, maybe it's rigged after all. Thanks for listening to Patrons and Partnerships. The second half of our interview with Just Income GNV will post on August 11th. As always, if you know of an individual or organization you'd like to recommend for an interview, email us at lpsfprogram at gmail.com. To listen to more episodes, find us anywhere you listen to podcasts.